came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Thank you, Carl. Eric, and thanks for dobbing me in as well about the, uh, the five evidences. I, uh, yeah, I was originally going to do five, but uh, the first one, which is probably the best of them all, uh, which is a... Uh, which is a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's from Isaiah chapter 7, you might know, and really you have to cover about three chapters of Isaiah to, uh, to kind of really understand uh, what's going on. So maybe we'll do that next Christmas or something like that, I don't know. But uh, unless you beg me, maybe, maybe if you beg me I'll do it next week, but I don't know. But uh, so we're just going to do four evidences today and... Uh, and, and and the reason that uh, we're going to do that is because Jesus uh, makes some really big claims, doesn't he? When he was on earth, he, uh, he made some phenomenal claims about who he was. Uh, Jesus claims to be the Son of God. 
uh, and, and to be God himself. Uh, Jesus claims to know the Father. He claims to be the only way back to a working relationship with God. He claims to be the one who deals with sin. He claims to be the one who deals with sin by dying on the cross. He claims that one day he's going to return to this earth uh, so that he can judge the living and the dead. And he claims that the basis of that judgement will be uh, whether people believed in him or whether they didn't believe in him, whether they knew him uh, and whether they didn't know him, whether they trusted him and whether they didn't trust him. There's some pretty uh, phenomenal claims, aren't they? There's some pretty big claims. And I think anyone who has any sense about them, anyone who has any kind of respectability, is going to want to test and see whether those things are true. You'd be a fool to believe anybody who claimed that kind of thing without evidence, without proof. Thankfully, God has given us proof about who Jesus is and he's done that through uh, a number of uh, ways uh, and one of them is through this man Matthew who wrote uh, the document that we read from just uh, a moment ago. Matthew wrote uh, a biography of Jesus not long after Jesus uh, was uh, lived on the earth, not long after he'd gone to be with the Father and Matthew wrote that biography of Jesus not just so that we'd know what Jesus did but so that people would know that Jesus really was God's Saviour and God's King. Throughout the chapter that, uh, that Eric read, you find those words over and over again, this was done to fulfil what the prophet had said. This was done to fulfil what the prophet had said. In this chapter, Matthew is making the claim that Jesus fulfils uh, the Old Testament expectation of what God's Saviour and God's King would be like. Matthew isn't saying, he's not saying, look, you're just going to have to trust me on this one. Jesus really is the king and uh, look, you're just going to have to buy into it, make some kind of leap of faith and believe me that it's true. Trust me. You know, so Matthew's not some kind of dubious politician you know, which is calling for you to trust him. No, Matthew's saying there's evidence. And this morning what we're going to, go, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the evidence that Matthew uh, sets up in this chapter uh, about uh, who Jesus is, uh, showing us that Jesus is God's Saviour and God's King. Matthew's actually doing that all the way through the Gospel uh, but this morning we're just going to focus uh, on these four. The first uh, Old Testament expectation that, that Matthew mentions uh, in this chapter and which Jesus' birth fulfilled is found in verse 6. So you might want to have your Bibles open uh, this morning as we go through this. Uh, after the Magi uh, went to Herod, uh, Herod called the priests uh, in, the, he called in the Old Testament experts, as it were, and he asked them where the Bible said that the Messiah, that God's King, was going to be born. And the experts tell Herod in verse 5, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what uh, the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. That quote comes from Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Uh, if, you're, if you're new to reading the Bible, uh, you might uh, notice that at the end of the quote, there's a, there's a little letter. Most Bibles have a little letter at the end of the quote in, in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 2. I've got a little A and at the bottom of the page, there's another little A, there's a footnote 
uh, and it says Micah 5 verse 2. That's saying, it's telling you where the quote uh, comes from in the Old Testament. Uh, and it's from uh, Micah chapter 5 verse 2. And we might just go back there. So if you've got your Bible, uh, let's turn back to Micah. Micah is at the end of the Old Testament, so it's only a little way back. Uh, and it's after, uh, after Daniel, then you've got Hosea, Joel, uh, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, and then Micah. Well, it's probably easier to go backwards. So Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. In chapter 5, uh, and this is what God said through Micah. But you, uh, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until a time when she who is in labour gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be their peace. What God was saying through Micah uh, was that even though Bethlehem was a small town, uh, nevertheless, the king, the Messiah, God's king, was going to come uh, out of that town. He was going to be born in Bethlehem. Uh, and not only that, uh, at the end of verse 2 it says that this king would have origins from of old, from ancient times. So this king uh, was going was to be living for a long time before he was born. Right? He was going to be from ancient times but he was going to be born into this world and he was going to save his people. How does that work together? How does how someone exist before they were born? Well, those, things, those two things come together, don't they, in the most spectacular way in Jesus Christ, who was the Son of God, who was God from all eternity, who existed and who was born into this world, born as a human child to save people from their sins. So this is the first reason that Matthew gives the first evidence that Matthew gives that Jesus really is God's Saviour and King is because Jesus, who existed from eternity past, was born into the world in a place called Bethlehem according to what God had promised. Jesus, who existed from eternity past, was born into the world in a small place called Bethlehem just as God had promised. So that's the first, the first evidence. The second uh, reference to the Old Testament comes in the next section in verse 15. Uh, after Jesus was born, an angel came to Joseph uh, telling him to flee Egypt because Herod was going to do everything in his power to try and kill uh, the boy Jesus. Mary and Joseph uh, stayed a little bit uh, and, the, uh, and they fleed to Egypt uh, until the death of Herod, uh, at which time they left Egypt and then went to Nazareth. And Matthew tells us that those events that, that, uh, that Mary and Joseph fleeing to Egypt, fulfils uh, the Old Testament where it says, out of Egypt I have called my son. That uh, is a quote from Hosea 11 verse 1 and it's reflecting uh, on how uh, God had years before in the Old Testament, uh, in the book of Exodus, rescued his people from Egypt. Uh, often in the New Testament, you see, Jesus is presented as, a, as kind of reliving the history of Israel. 
He's presented as kind of reliving the history of Israel and then succeeding where Israel failed. So Israel in the Old Testament is often called God's firstborn son. But they kept turning away from God. right? So they're God's son but they kept failing. They kept disobeying God. God tested their faith and they failed. Hosea 11 uh, verse 2 goes on to recount what happened uh, uh, after things went bad. God, call, uh, God uh, said through, uh, through Hosea, but the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. My people are determined to turn from me. That was the description of Israel in the Old Testament. But in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew shows how Jesus' life, in contrast to Israel, how, how Jesus followed God, how Jesus made up, where, where, uh, how Jesus uh, did what was right, where Israel did what was wrong. Matthew is, is, is setting us up here in, in, this first, uh, in this second chapter for a much bigger claim and the claim is that the history of Israel, the history itself, not just the words but the history itself was prophetic of what Jesus' life would be like. And the first example of that is that Jesus escaping from Egypt, coming out of Egypt... Is a, is a reflection of what God did through Israel in the Old Testament. So it's not just that the words in the Old Testament point forward to Jesus, but it's that the events, the, the life of Israel itself, the things that happened to them, mirror, are mirrored in the life of Jesus. So there we, then we have the second reason. The first was uh, that Jesus, who existed from eternity past, was born in Bethlehem according to what God had promised, and the second now is that Jesus being taken to Egypt and then being brought out, being called out by God, was foreshadowed in the Old Testament through the life of Israel uh, more than a thousand years before. The third uh, Old Testament expectation in this second chapter, which Matthew tells us was fulfilled in Jesus' early life, uh, can be found in verse 17 and 18. Uh, Matthew is recounting Herod's response when Herod uh, finds out that he's been deceived by the, uh, by the Magi, he's pretty miffed and what he decides to do is to slaughter all the children two years and younger. You see, Herod uh, was the king and he didn't want to be taken over uh, or have any competition from this king of the Jews. Uh, and so Matthew tells us that that fulfilled something from the Old Testament. Verse 17 then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, great weeping and mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. That quote comes from uh, the book of Jeremiah, one of the big prophets in the Old Testament. It comes from Jeremiah 31 verse 15. Uh, and in the first place it was referring to the children who were killed during the conquest of Judah by Babylon. So in 1586, Babylon decimated uh, the, the country which was Judah and, uh, and, they, and they sent them into exile. They scattered the Israelites, the Jews, all uh, throughout their nation. Uh, the Rachel who's being talked about was the wife of Jacob and she effectively was the mother of all the Israelites because from Jacob uh, and Rachel came all the descendants, all the Israelites, all the Jews. 
Ramah was a place uh, that was on the way to, from Bethel, uh, to, from Bethlehem to Bethel, I should say, where Rachel was buried. Right? So there's this picture of Rachel, the mother of all the Israelites, when she sees her descendants being slaughtered, uh, she's calling out for her, from her grave near Bethlehem. She's calling out uh, from her grave, weeping over the fact that this godless king is killing all of her children, all of God's people. So the question is, I suppose, how does that relate to Jesus? How is that foreshadowing Jesus? Well, Jeremiah 31 is not only about uh, sorrow, it's also about sorrow turning to joy. God promised, you see in Jeremiah 31, not only that there'd be this, this weeping over the children, but that there would be a return to joy uh, and to peace. Uh, if you've got your Bible uh, open still, turn back to Jeremiah. So Jeremiah's... Uh, one of the big prophets after Psalms, kind of the next really big one, I guess, is Isaiah and then Jeremiah is after that about three-fifths of the way through. Or six-tenths. Six-tenths is kind of neater, isn't it? I don't know. Uh, so Jeremiah 31. And we'll read from verse 10. So this is what God promised through Jeremiah and this is what Matthew is picking up on. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel, that's God, he who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will ransom Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine and the oil and the young of the flocks and herds. They will be like a well-watered garden and they will sorrow no more. Their maidens will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priests with abundance and my people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord. And here's the quote. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. This is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy. So there is hope for your future, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. You see, the sorrow and the weeping didn't end when Israel returned to their own land. They were cast out by Babylon and they came back. In, in 538 and in 458, Israel came back to their land. But the weeping and the sorrow wasn't over. They rebuilt the temple, but the weeping and the sorrow wasn't over. If you remember back in Matthew chapter 1, uh, there was the genealogy, remember that? And from the time of the exile up to the time of Jesus, what was characteristic of that time? What was characteristic of that time was that there was no king. From the invasion of Babylon to the time of Jesus, there was no king in Israel. There was no king over God's people. What did that mean for the people of Israel? 
It meant that they were subject to the possibility of their children being slaughtered by the godless kings who reigned over them. This is the picture that Matthew is drawing. He's drawing a picture of a time of oppression under foreign kings bracketed, as it were, by the slaughter and the misery of their children being decimated. Matthew is saying that those years of misery and war and godless kings have come to an end in the birth of Jesus Christ. That's Matthew's third evidence of why we should know and believe that Jesus is God's Saviour and King. First, because Jesus existed from eternity past and was born in a place called Bethlehem according to what God had promised. Second, because Jesus fled out of Egypt reliving what the life of Israel had already foreshadowed. And now thirdly, because the oppression and the slaughter of God's children by godless kings has come to an end with the birth of Jesus. The oppression and the slaughter of God's children by godless kings has come to an end with the birth of King Jesus. So they're the first three and this is the last reference to the Old Testament that we're going to look at this morning uh, and that comes in verse 23. The last section uh, from 19, verse 19 to 23 pick up on the fact uh, that even though Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was... He lived most of his life, most of his childhood, I should say, in Nazareth. Uh, in fact, later in his life he's known, isn't he, as, uh, as Jesus of Nazareth because uh, most people knew that's where he grew up. Matthew tells us that his, life, his early life in Nazareth fulfils the Old Testament expectation that he will be called a Nazarene, verse 23. Now this last of the references is a little bit different to all the others and maybe you notice that because all the others said this is to fulfil what was said through the prophet. Right? And then there was a quote. But, but here Matthew says, and so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. So Matthew isn't thinking back to just one particular prophet nor just to one particular quote from the Old Testament. If you look through the Old Testament, you won't find any reference to he will be called a Nazarene. Uh, my Bible puts it in, in quotation marks, but that's not what Matthew's saying. He's saying this isn't one quote from one prophet. This is what the prophets as a whole were saying about uh, who Jesus would be. So, how, what is being a Nazarene? How does being a Nazarene, how is that important? How does that show that Jesus really is God's saviour? Maybe a better question to ask is, uh, what is significant about being a Nazarene. Uh, if you've read uh, John's Gospel and if you've read what Nathaniel, uh, one of Jesus' 12 disciples said, when he found out that Jesus was from Nazareth, you'll probably begin to sort of maybe piece things together. In, uh, in John chapter 1, verse 45, Philip, one of the other disciples, he's discovered that Jesus is uh, the Messiah and he runs to tell his, uh, his friend Nathaniel, his brother Nathaniel, he says, we've found the one that Moses wrote about in the law, right? So, so Nathan, uh, Philip's saying, like Matthew, yeah, this is the one that, uh, that Moses wrote about, that the prophets wrote about. We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel goes, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? Because Nazareth was known to be a place 
kind of of ill repute. Uh, I don't know what that place is in Launceston, and maybe it's safer if I don't make guesses in case in case somebody lives there. But uh, but when I lived in Sydney, right? Uh, in Sydney, the place that everybody knew was dodgy was King's Cross, right? Uh, maybe not everybody knew it was dodgy, but uh, that was a place where everybody knew that there was drugs, there was kind of the, you know, the heavy nightclubs, there were, the, there were prostitutes uh, you know, walking up and down the street. Uh, everybody knew that King's Cross was dodgy. Good people don't come out of King's Cross, right? And that's what, Nath- that's what Nathaniel was saying when he found out that Philip was saying, well, God's Messiah has come from Nazareth. Good people don't come from Nazareth. It's a dodgy place. But, but listen to what Matthew is saying. Even though the people themselves didn't expect God's king to come from Nazareth, that's exactly what the Old Testament said would happen. They didn't say Nazareth exactly, but this is, what they, this is what the Old Testament said. Psalm 22. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Isaiah 49, verse 7. This is what the Lord says, To him who is despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you rise up. Isaiah 53. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Think about what Isaiah was saying, what those other people were saying. Jesus had nothing in him that would attract people to him. And that wasn't just fulfilled in his death on the cross, it was fulfilled in his whole life. He was known as a man brought up in the dodgiest part of town. There was nothing about him that would attract anyone to him. To be called a Nazarene is to be despised and to be rejected. And Matthew is saying... That is exactly who Jesus was. Jesus was God's saviour and king and right from the beginning of his life he was despised and rejected because of the town that he was born into, the town that he lived in. So there we have four reasons that Matthew gives us why you should believe that Jesus is God's saviour and king come to save people from their sin. Go through them again. First, it was because Jesus, who existed from eternity past, was born into the world in Bethlehem, as God promised. Second, because Jesus, like Israel in the Old Testament, fled out of Egypt, according to what God had promised. Third, because of the, the oppression and the slaughter of God's children by godless kings came to an end uh, with the birth of King Jesus. And now fourth, because Jesus' birth in Nazareth, a place place of no repute, reaffirms the expectation of the Old Testament prophets that the Messiah, that God's King, will be a person of ill repute uh, and of low expectations. 
Some of you will already know that Jesus, some of you already know who that Jesus is and you are already trusting him and following him. Uh, And if that's you, then I hope that these four reasons that Matthew has given us uh, in God's wisdom, I hope that these four reasons have given you a renewed confidence in following and trusting Jesus. I hope that they've bolstered your faith. I hope too that if you follow and trust Jesus already, that these four reasons have given you uh, tools to convince others of the truth of who Jesus is, that he really is God's Saviour and King. Maybe some of you, though, uh, have only been convinced for the first time. I don't know. Maybe uh, before this morning you weren't really sure whether Jesus was someone that you could really believe in. Maybe you're sceptical and maybe what uh, you've seen from God's word this morning has convinced you who Jesus really is. Uh, And if that describes you, then what you need to do is to respond to that. Uh, And you need to respond to that by confessing your sin to Jesus, by praying to him, by confessing your sin uh, and and asking Jesus to forgive you uh, and to make you a person who follows him. So if you've been convinced for the first time this morning, I encourage you to do that, to go uh, to do it now, to, 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 go, to go home and pray uh, that Jesus would forgive you and to make you a person who follows him as king. Uh, and if you're a person who's, who's still sitting here and, and maybe you've heard all this and you're still not convinced, there's still niggling doubts, there's still questions, then maybe the best thing that you can do is to keep on reading this biography of Jesus that Matthew has given Because Matthew wrote this to try and prove to you and I and to lots of other people that Jesus really is God's Saviour and King. And if you read it and you look for those words fulfilled and you go back into the Old Testament and you you read where those quotes first come from and as you test, you know, to see whether Jesus really is who he said he is, I think you'll come to see with greater certainty that he really is God's Saviour and King. Don't take my word for it. Don't believe me, but test and see that you might know the truth. Uh, If you've got any questions, you can uh, always come up to me at the end of the service or you can ask Eric as well. Uh, Ask some of your hard questions. If you've come with a friend, you can ask uh, ask your Christian friend those tough questions as well. But at the end of the day, the most important thing and the thing that God and Matthew want us to see is that Jesus really is God's Saviour and King and it's not something that we have to believe out of a leap of faith but it's something that God has gone to great lengths to give us evidence and proof for. So let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, you are a wise and a kind God and You've not left us without uh, evidence and without a a testimony about your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, you know that our hearts are disbelieving hearts, that of ourselves, Lord, we don't want to believe uh, in Jesus, that we don't want to know you, that we don't want to accept you. Lord, we know that our hearts are deceitful above all else, and Lord, that we can't even understand our own hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that in your great goodness and mercy that you would enable each one of us to be able to see 
what Matthew first saw, that Jesus fulfils what you promised in the Old Testament. Help us to see that Jesus really is your Saviour and the King of the whole world. Lord, please help us to believe it and having believed to entrust ourselves to Jesus, to repent and to follow him. Father, we ask it not for our own sake but for the sake of Jesus' name. Amen.